Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode number 68 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm a solicitor and employment law and HR specialist, and I work in my own business, which is Real Employment Law Advice. We provide advice to employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. This week's episode is the second in the series relating to parental rights. So if this is your first time tuning in and you want to go back to episode 67, it's episode one in this mini series, which is covering parental rights. And this week, I'm following on from last week's episode, talking about maternity leave and then moving on to adoption leave. So without further ado, I'm going to get straight into this week's content. So those of you who tuned in last week or have gone back and listened to episode one in this mini series will know that we talked about when an employee tells you that they're pregnant, what your obligations are and how to handle it. Now I'm going to be moving on to what happens with regards to maternity leave and your requirements and the employee's requirements to notify you. So once an employee has told you that they're pregnant, they then have to tell you when they intend to start their maternity leave. Now once they inform you of the date that they want to take their maternity leave from, you have 28 days in which to notify them of the date that their maternity leave will end. So that's the starting point for you in terms of your obligations. And as I say, it's a legal obligation to respond within 28 days. Now for employees, all employees qualify for maternity leave now. There's no qualifying period of service. So an employee can start working with you on day one and then could leave and go on maternity leave on day two. It's not likely that that's going to happen, but it is a possibility. There isn't any requirement for them to have worked for a minimum period of time as there used to be. And employees have the right to take up to 52 weeks maternity leave. And so that's split into two. The first 26 weeks is known as ordinary maternity leave and the second 26 weeks is known as additional maternity leave. Now there aren't really any major differences between ordinary and additional maternity leave anymore. However, the employee's rights upon returning to work will depend on whether they took ordinary maternity leave, so the first 26 weeks, or they went into additional maternity leave and I'll talk about that again later on. So the employee can take their maternity leave and they can start maternity leave anytime as long as it's not before the beginning of the 11th week before her expected week of childbirth. So she can take her maternity leave any time up to 11 weeks before the date that the child is expected to be born. And the employee is required to give you notice by the 15th week before their expected week of childbirth. So at some point in that time, they will tell you when they intend to take their maternity leave And as I was saying earlier, you have to tell them within 28 days the end date. So the end date that you would give them would be exactly 52 weeks after the date that they're intending to start their maternity leave. If the employee decides to change the date that they want to start their maternity leave for whatever reason, they again must notify you and you have 28 days in which to respond with the amended new date for the end of their maternity leave. So that would obviously be updated. There's no 
legal requirement for you to respond in writing. But obviously, if you do so, that becomes your evidence that you've actually fulfilled your obligations. So I'd recommend that you respond in writing. And it's also a good idea to put in the letter what pay they're going to be entitled to whilst they are on maternity leave. And also, it's worth putting in there some details about how you're going to stay in touch with them whilst they're on maternity leave or any expected changes that might happen while they're away, all of that sort of thing, just to keep them informed. Now, there are some situations in which maternity leave starts automatically. And as you can imagine, if the employee goes into labour prematurely and has a premature birth, and it's before the normal date that their maternity leave would start, so the date they've stipulated that their maternity leave would start, then their maternity leave automatically starts the day after birth. So on a premature birth, as you'd expect. And then if an, an employee is absent for a pregnancy-related reason, and they're absent after the beginning of the fourth week, before expected week of childbirth, so in that last month before the baby's due, but it's before the date they've notified you that they intend to take maternity leave. So let's just say they become unwell in those final few weeks and they've got two weeks left until the date their maternity leave was due to start um, and only three weeks left until the baby's due and they become unwell. Then if it's related to pregnancy, their maternity leave automatically starts and there will be the first day of her absence will be the first day of maternity leave. And in that situation, and obviously with a premature birth, you have 28 days again in which to notify the employee of the new end date of their maternity leave. Now, the purpose of your obligation to respond to the employee is so that it's certain, so the employee knows exactly what date they're expected back at work. And so that's why you need to update it depending on the circumstances if they take maternity leave early or if one of the automatic triggers takes place. It's a good time as well when you're dealing with this notification to agree communication with the employee whilst they're on maternity leave. So agree with them how regularly you're going to stay in touch. Are you going to send them the company newsletter? Are you going to give them a call every month? Are you going to go and see them after six months? How is it going to work? And how do you, does the employee want it to work and how will they feel comfortable about it? Now, when an employee is on maternity leave, they have a number of rights. So their normal employment contract continues. So they retain their continuous service. They are entitled to all the normal benefits that they would have if they had been at work. So if you provide medical health cover or gym membership or discounts, that sort of thing, you would have to continue those whilst an employee is on maternity leave. And they have the right to continue to accrue holidays. So they accrue holidays whilst they're on leave. The only thing they're not entitled to whilst they are absent on maternity leave is their normal pay, the normal remuneration. So they're not entitled to the normal salary unless you have a contractual arrangement to that effect. Now, they would be entitled to pay rises if any take place during their maternity leave and so that their pay would increase for when they return or if it has an impact on the amount of maternity pay that they're receiving, they would be entitled to that uplift. And they may be entitled to a bonus payment whilst they're on leave, um, but it does depend on how and why the bonus payment is being made. If the bonus payment is relating to a period of time at which the employee was at work and it's recognising or rewarding the work that they did during that time, then they're entitled to that bonus payment. But if it's not, then um, they wouldn't be entitled to it. 
So just be a bit careful with bonus payments. And obviously, if you give a additional payment to all staff because, you know, profits are up or something like that, um, or just a one-off individual bonus as an incentive for staff. So if you're giving it to all staff, then it is likely that you'd have to give that to the pregnant employee. It's worth seeking some advice if you have any situations like that that arise. So as I said, an employee on maternity leave isn't entitled to their normal pay. They are, however, entitled to statutory maternity pay. Now, statutory maternity pay has an eligibility criteria. So in order to be eligible for statutory maternity pay, an employee has to have been employed for a minimum of 26 weeks, up to and including the 15th week before the expected week of childbirth. So the way that that works out is that they generally have to be employed at the point they become pregnant. When you work out the dates and things, it tends to be either just before or around the time that they became pregnant in order to qualify for statutory maternity pay. So an employee, as we're saying before, can start and not have any length of service, but be entitled to leave, maternity leave, but they're not entitled to statutory maternity pay unless they've got that qualifying period of service. Now, you are, of course, free to make your own arrangements in terms of contractual maternity pay or additional maternity pay or however you want to call it with your staff. But the legal minimum requirement is that you have to pay 90% of their normal earnings for the first six weeks and then the normal rate, so the statutory rate, which is prescribed by law, which is currently £139.58 a week, you have to pay that for 33 weeks. So as you can see, an employee who decides to take the full 52 weeks off would only have 39 weeks of that with any pay and the remaining 13 weeks will be at nil pay. Employees who don't qualify for statutory maternity pay from you may qualify for statutory maternity allowance. And there are earnings limits, actually, I should have said, on the payment of maternity pay, so statutory maternity pay. They have to have been earning, on average, at least what is known as the lower earnings limit for national insurance during an eight-week period ending with the 15th week before the expected week of childbirth. So what that means is there is a minimum prescribed level of earnings that's set out by law, which varies from time to time, which is currently £112. So an employee has to have earned a minimum of £112 a week in that period, eight weeks before the 15th week before the child is born, in order to qualify for statutory maternity pay. Otherwise, if they don't qualify for that, they may qualify for statutory maternity allowance, which they have to claim via the Department for Work and Pensions. As I was saying earlier, when I was talking about notifications, you are allowed to have reasonable contact with an employee whilst they're on maternity leave. So you don't just have to cut off contact altogether until they're ready to return. And an employee can have up to 10 keeping in touch days during their maternity leave. So this is to enable an employee to return to work, do a bit of work, keep their hand in or maybe reintroduce himself back into the workplace without losing their right to maternity pay or maternity leave so they can take up to 10 days and it's for you to agree with the employee how that's going to work and what will happen on a day-to-day basis and how they're going to be paid for that. So just to quickly summarise there we've talked about what you need to do once you know the date that the employee intends to take their maternity leave. We've talked about automatic start of maternity leave and employees rights during maternity leave in terms of their contractual rights 
statutory maternity pay, reasonable contact and keeping in touch days. Now what I'm going to do now is talk about adoption leave and adoption pay because actually maternity pay and adoption pay and adoption leave, um, maternity leave all cross over so they're very similar. So I thought it'd be useful to give you an overview as we're talking about parental rights on the rights of adopters. So adoption leave, again, like maternity leave, is available to an employee from the first day that they've started work. So there's no minimum requirement to have been employed for a period of time before you can take adoption leave. Adoption leave is for 52 weeks and it's split again between ordinary adoption leave and additional adoption leave. So 26 weeks ordinary adoption leave and 26 weeks additional adoption leave. The people that are eligible for adoption leave are those people who are matched for adoption, parents of children who are born to a surrogate and foster parents who are approved to adopt. So those are the three people. There are other sorts of adoption arrangements, adoption by a step parent, um, other adoptions outside of the normal adoption agencies that you c- can happen but they're not covered by the adoption leave and adoption pay requirements or eligibility. So if you find a situation which is a bit unusual with one of your members of staff and you're not sure what their rights would be under law, then it's worth getting some advice to see if they qualify. Now, when it comes to adoption leave and adoption pay, what happens is one of the adopting parents, if there's a couple, stipulates which of them is going to be the primary adopter for the adoption rights. So they're the ones who are going to take the adoption leave And the other parent then will take the equivalent to paternity leave. So in a couple's adoption, both parents can't take adoption leave. Obviously, if it's just a single person adopting, then they would be the one that takes the adoption leave. Just like somebody who's having a baby, an adopter is entitled to time off to attend appointments. And again, it's split into two. So primary adopter can take time off up to five appointments whereas the other parent has the right to two appointments off. And that's, again, a maximum of six and a half hours, like it is with the maternity leave. Now, unlike maternity, there isn't an expected week of childbirth to to base all of the calculations of dates and figures and times and that sort of thing on. So what you look at is the date of the matching certificate. So when the adopter is matched with a child... Now, what typically happens in an adoption situation is adopters will be approved to be adopters first. So they go through a process where they then have to go to a panel who approve them as adopters. And then they're in a situation once they're approved as adopters where they are looking for a match. They're looking for a match for a child or children. And then once a child or children have been identified as a potential match, then they have to go to another panel who decide if they can be matched with that particular child. And it's that point, the matching, when they're approved for adoption of that particular child or children, that the trigger points occur. So just an overview there for you so you understand the process. So no more than seven days after the date on which the employee is told that they have been matched must an employee give you notice, one of the date that the child is expected to be placed with them, and two, the date on which they choose to take their adoption leave. And they must, so they must tell you this. And they can't take their adoption leave any later than the date that they've been placed with the child. And they can't take the adoption leave any earlier than 14 days before the child is due to come home to live with them. So let me just recap that again. 
So an employee has an obligation to inform you no later than seven days after the date on which they've been matched. And they have to tell you the date they intend to take adoption leave and the date they're expected to be placed with the child. Then you have, um, as the employer, in the same way with maternity leave, 28 days to notify them of the date that their adoption leave will end. So as soon as you get that notification, you've got 28 days to notify them again. I recommend it in writing to tell them of the date that they will have to return to work. So the 52 weeks after. Just as an aside here, there are slightly different requirements for somebody who is adopting from a surrogate. So someone who's going for a surrogacy arrangement, because obviously in that situation, there is a baby that's going to be born rather than a child that's going to be matched. And so 15 weeks before the expected week of childbirth for the surrogate mum, the adopting parent must give notice and then they must give a further notice after the child has been born. So it is rather an unusual situation and you don't tend to find that you get many adoption arrangements within um, your business or with your employees anyway. Um, so let alone having a surrogacy arrangement. So if you do have one, I wouldn't sweat about it. Don't worry, just get some advice or look up or check your policies, check the latest position or give me a call and I'd be happy to talk through with you. So that's giving notice and how it works. Again, terms and conditions, all of the same thing as maternity leave applies to adopters who are on adoption leave. And there is an entitlement to adoption pay, which is again the same as maternity pay and the same requirements of being employed for at least 26 weeks. However, this time the employee has to be employed for at least 26 weeks at the date they've been notified of a match. So they have to have been employed for 26 weeks before the date they're notified of a match and they have to have the same level of earnings limit in order to qualify. And again, it's 90% pay for six weeks, and then the statutory rate, which is currently £139.58, for the remaining 33 weeks. Just like an employee on maternity leave, uh, an adopter has the right to keeping in touch days, so they can take up to 10 keeping in touch days, where they can return to work during their adoption leave and do a bit of work without affecting their adoption pay or the adoption leave. And there's also the same reasonable contact and communication. Now, for both an employee on maternity leave and an employee on adoption leave, there is an assumption that their leave will last for 52 weeks. Now, if an employee wishes to return before the end of the 52-week period, they must give you at least eight weeks' notice of their date of return. So they're required to let you know at least eight weeks before so you can make the necessary arrangements if they want to return early. Now you do have the opportunity if you wanted to to agree a shorter period of time, a shorter period of notice with the employee if you wish. So if they contacted you and said I want to come back in a month, if that works for you then you can say yes and agree but what the position is in law is there's no obligation on you to say yes and you could say actually no You can't come back until the end of your eight-week notice. So that's how they would end the maternity leave early. Otherwise, they return at the end of the 52 weeks, which will be the date that you've notified them at the very outset of the end of their maternity or adoption leave. Now, that's up to the point of return to work. What I'm going to talk about next week is what happens if there is no job for the employee to return to 
or if there is a redundancy situation or something else occurs during the maternity or adoption leave, which means that it makes life a bit difficult to deal with the employee upon their return and what happens then. So do tune in in two weeks time for the next episode in this mini series on parental rights. I do hope that you found this episode useful in dealing with maternity and adoption. And of course, as I've said throughout, if you do have any questions or queries, then please get in touch. It's alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk. And at the end of this parental rights series, I'm going to do a frequently asked questions and answer any questions that the listeners might have. So do drop me an email if you want to have a question answered. I'd be happy to do that. Finally, before I sign off, We are looking to build the team here at Real Employment Law Advice. So if you or you know of anyone who might be looking for a new opportunity to work within the employment law and HR field anywhere around the UK, we would love to hear from you. And we're particularly looking for somebody on the Isle of Wight or on the South Coast in Hampshire area who might want to work with us. um, Who is either somebody who specialises in employment law, maybe a newly qualified solicitor or a trainee solicitor, somebody who's looking to branch out and do some more work into employment law. So do get in touch. You can reach us and it's by email, which is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or you can contact us by phone for a confidential discussion on 01983 I do hope that you have a great week and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.